Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay Cellular Trail Camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Welcome back. Hopefully everyone's doing well. We're in the swing of things. This is uh, rut season. Deer are breeding, and hopefully everybody's finding success. Uh, at this point, I have not killed any deer, but I've been having a great time hunting, and uh, I've got a few stories to share with you today. But I've got Jake Ellinger back from Habitat Solutions 360. Jake's been on a bunch of times, and we're going to talk about his season specifically. He's got a lot of information to share and give you some perspective on you know, how he attacks his property and what he looks at when he's trying to make decisions to go after a certain deer or a group of deer for that matter. So let me get him on the line. Hey, Jake, are you there? Yes, I am, John. All right. Welcome back. How you been? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've, I've been good. I really have been. It's been a, uh, um, this year, uh, this hunting season crept up on me. Uh, I had a lot of personal things going on in my life mm-hmm. that a honey-do list from the, the wife. Uh, we had a big 50th wedding anniversary the weekend before the bow season opener here. So my mind was not where it should have been. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can understand. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But you know, it was it was really cool. Got to see some great people I haven't seen in a really long time. People I worked with years ago in the Detroit area that I invited. So you know, it was it was really really a good time. You know? Good. Well, can... I know it's not hunting, but it uh, kind of helps you. Lead, you know, when I lead into some of the things I did and, and how I've hunted this year, it'll kind of uh, give you some backdrop on well, that. It's an important milestone and everybody has those milestones in life that, that kind of shape, you know, where they're at today. And, you know, I think it's important that you share that. I'm really interested, you know, we've talked a bunch this season and, you know, I'm happy just to, to have those conversations with you. I know when we started the season, we talked about some really high caliber deer you have had on your property and, uh, you know, not to get specifics or anything like that, but, you know, I was impressed with just, you know, where you're at today, um, how you've gotten to the place you've gotten to and how productive hunting has been for you over the years. And, you know, our styles are really similar. You and I echo a lot of the same things, which has been very interesting in two different states, two different backgrounds. But uh, I've really kind of appreciated your kind of tone and, and texture and how you attack things. So I'm really interested to hear about your story this season and just what's going on with you. Yeah, well, hey, um, I'll just kind of roll off here. You know, like uh, typically, you know, I I run a combination of uh, cell cameras and non-cell cameras. And uh, before, I'm going to say about velvet peel, I take all my card cameras and get them out of any area that would be a place I would walk, be, 
or hunt in. I just take them out of areas I would hunt. And I, I've got one or two cell cams that watch some really uh, uh, active scrapes. And they're very high up. You know, they're at, uh, I think one's at 11 feet and the other one's at about 12 and a half feet. And I've just found, uh, even with a cell camera, um, that certain deer pay attention to cameras. Okay. They, they... Yeah. And I've noticed the same thing. Um, just even today, uh, I was hunting a bedding area yesterday and I'm smack dab in the bedding area. And, and I think listeners that heard me on podcast before said, don't do that. Well, desperation in some cases pushes you to make decisions. Um, and this isn't on my own property. This is another property at home with a bunch of guys, but even the cell cameras in those locations have been getting picked off. I, I think a lot is to say about your placement and we could do a whole podcast on trail camera. placement. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but we, that, we that, that is, you know, uh, I moved to camera yesterday and boy, those deer picked up on that real, real quickly. Oh, man, yeah. I'm telling you just the, the slightest amount of scent and just something different. And I, I'm a believer now that I think all deer in the Midwest are extremely aware of a black box uh, on a stake uh, around a tree, uh, you, know, you know, camouflage box. I call it a black box, but I mean, they come in multiple colors and some are large, some are fairly small, um, you know, and then depending on the, the hunter himself, you know, how good of a job did he do scent, his own scent control? Um, but yeah, there's all kinds of tips that we leave and some deer, don't care. You know, we've all had Mr. Photogenic that gives you all kinds of pictures all the time, you know, and then you got those other deer that come in and they, you know, it's the very first time they've run into that camera and it's the last picture you're going to get of him. And, uh, but um, I did have some really good deer this year. uh, Some some nice deer uh, always have some good deer here. You know, Um, they're not all giants, you know, but they're good deer for my area. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I hunt, uh, you know, I base, I'm, you know, as we talked, I'm fairly strategic, so early in the season, I'm always waiting for that first cold front, okay? Sometimes it pops right out of the gate. Uh, this year, we had a pretty decent cold front uh, a very, uh, seven days into the season, October 7th. Uh, you know, northwest wind, high pressure, gave me an opportunity to hunt a food source in the evening, you know, an afternoon, get in, you know, and uh, it was uh, a little bit... Uh, Sometimes when you do things right and then Mother Nature cooperates, I, I think um, the jury's still out because I may have a really uh, incredible late season food source, but early season too much of a uh, early season too much of a good thing. And, and what I mean by that is um, I, I took very good care of my ground this year with uh, soil amendments and liquid lime, and uh, plot doctor uh, products, along with using uh, oats as a nurse crop for my soybeans, which I discussed with you, uh, I think one of the last uh, podcasts we did, and then really well-timed rains, along with the right types of growing conditions, uh, heavy dew all through the month of August, and uh, I ended up with soybeans about head high. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. So I, so I go into my stand, you know, all excited about my spot. And I'd been in there in August and I'd mowed my paths. Well, that'd been, you know, 
five, six weeks since I was in there mowing the paths and the soybeans to lead the deer to the scrape, uh, to lead to the scrape tree. And I get up in that stand and I look out the windows and it's like, oh my God, I can't even, my gosh, I can't even see the edges of my scrape tree. You know, and I realized, you know, and there's, there's, there was, there were deer in the plot, you know, like all food sources on the edges where the deer hit them, you know, the food sources are lower. But uh, right away, I started noticing the deer were not moving through the centers because it was so thick and viney and it was so tall, the deer would disappear, absolutely disappear from sight. They'd go into the beans. You couldn't even tell there were deer there. Wow, this is a this I, is a hard problem to have. I mean, this is it's a hard problem to have. And I had full size, hundred and twenty inch, two and a half year old bucks come out, go into those soybeans. I'd literally lose them. I wouldn't know where they are. Huh. And I, I'll tell you, they didn't like it, especially the mature bucks. They did not like it. And I've I've hunted that that spot uh, twice now, and uh, they do not like it. And now that it's finally getting cold, but I still have green soybeans, even though we've had some some uh, pretty good frost. But because they're tall, they frost the tops of them, and and you know there's still still some green down in the bottom. It was great food production, great pod production, but uh, I you know I, I got to change on the variety. It was a variety in a in a uh, um, maturity rate bean. I tried something a little bit different this year just to, you know, just try and get some longer growing season growth, try and get into maximum production, okay? Like like maximizing your hunt, I'm trying to maximize my food production. <laughs> Boy, uh, apparently, uh, apparently, but I will tell you, you that very first hunt, um, I had the nicest three-year-old, uh, beautiful eight-point, probably nine to ten-inch tines on him, hmm. and I passed him at 15 yards. So it was it was a wonderful hunt. Saw plenty of does and fawns. I think I saw, um, I, I just used my memory, eight or nine different bucks that night. So isn't that a nice first hunt? <laughs> yeah. I, so so Jake, let me ask you this question because this is a, you know, this is a problem. We talk. I've talked with the juries a little bit. They've had a similar situation. Um, and I'm in this instance thinking back. Right, you've got these really tall beans, and and you're already in the situation. Uh, did you consider going in there and mowing portions of them down? I know you have your trails through, you know, these areas, but well, what did you end um, up doing? Exactly. I sat there and watched, and then I've got one camera that's about um, 45 to 55 yards away that's on a scrape. And it's in a new, uh, it's it's in a an old food plot. I call it the hourglass food plot. But I went in there and cut tree, you know, as time goes by, trees grow and start creating more shade. So I went in there in the uh, middle of uh, late July, early August. I cut a lot of trees back and replanted, and and uh, it was ju- it's just kicking butt. So it gets a lot of deer activity. And, uh, you know, bucks are using the scrapes and showing showing me that they're around. And I just noticed that, that you, you know, there'd be all this activity on that location, but not around my main food sources. So that's exactly what I thought about doing. I said, you know, the first nasty, windy, rainy crap day that we have after this hunt, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to mow these paths wider and I'm going to try and and make it so these deer can come into that scrape tree and see each other and make eye contact. And I think I had to wait about 10 days for that to happen, but I think it was around October. Oh, I'm going to guess it was in the, 
14th to 18th, we had one of those crap days. I mean, the wind, you know, you get those 25 mile an hour gusts and sheets of rain. And I went out there with my walk behind brush hog and I made all these trails that normally are about three to four feet wide. I made about six or eight feet wide because the soybeans were so tall, they just canopy and fall down into the areas that you'd mowed. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I went around the scrape tree and did all that. And I just hunted that location again. Um, when, what was it? It was, I did an all day hunt Monday where I spent all Monday morning till two, uh, two o'clock in the afternoon up close to a bedding area, and then I relocated because we had a, a cold front and a northwest wind, and relocated to the food source for the afternoon because I'm you know trying to trying to get eyes on uh, a couple of different bucks and it was like boy they look good on camera but I want to see them personally in front of me to see if it's really the kind of deer I'd I'd be happy with shooting, and a lot more deer movement in that food plot, uh, but it's been unseasonably dry here. And uh, my water tubs were all but empty, hmm. you know, and these are 120 gallon water tubs that were full of water um, the first week of October. And I probably saw 15, 16 deer go to those water tubs and try and drink what little bit of water was there, which is so funny. If you were, if you were in that spot, John, you got to realize within a hundred yards, there's 20 acres of water. Isn't that incredible? It's, incredible. you know, and it's just, they're just, you know, it's that Seven Eleven thing, you know? Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> a just, great it's analogy. food, water, girls. Yep, this is where it's at. But, uh, um, you know, so we've had hot, hot weather, really weird winds, a lot of east winds, a lot of southeast winds, and very few co- good cold fronts. And, and when I, I always say, you know, anything over 20, 25 degrees is a really good cold front. We have not had that. And we've had a couple of cold fronts, and instead of getting that north, west wind it you know it's all of a sudden it's east northeast wind mm-hmm. and uh, you know bucks are moving but it just puts i'm so darn careful with my place that you know i have to sometimes learn to get a little more aggressive okay and uh, i haven't been because you know i'm, I'm playing really you know i'm i, I don't want to bust these deer out this is the only place i hunt yeah. Like yeah if they if they get on to me then it's all over we, we all know that but uh the truth is we got a really good cold front and you know that that typical last week of October is normally a just incredible uh, buck movement, daytime movement for shooters. And my cameras weren't telling me anything and uh, talking, you know, some of my buddies, oh yeah, man, there's deer all over the place. And then I talked to another friend of mine that was, you know, maybe two miles north of me. He said, I'm not seeing anything, but, you know, some dink bucks and some does and fawns. And, and I went out one night in an east wind, and I've got an east stand, easy to get into. And I watched does and fawns pile out of the bedding area, come to the food, just as if it was the first week of October. It's like, well, there's no, there's no rut activity going on here. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. You know, so it's, it's been a combination of that, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, but Hey, you know, I love every moment I get out there. Um, I relocated a observation stand this year that I've used three times strictly where I can get in. I can see 150 yards across the Valley in one spot across the tops of these spruce trees. And then I can see about 125 yards in another location across switchgrass and some food sources. And it's a great way for me to get Intel on deer movement. Yeah. Yeah, And uh, I think around the 18th or the 20th of October, I went in there one evening 
And I did see uh, one of my really nice shooters. Okay. He worked a scrape, but you know, I put my range finder on him. It was 118 yards. That's a little, <laughs> that's a little bit long shot for archery equipment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I knew, you know, I might see him a long ways away, but it was just awesome seeing him, you know, along with the other young bucks and stuff that hang around. It's like, yep, he's here. And, and I will tell you a neat story about this deer. He was making a scrape probably no more than 35 yards from one camera. And, and he headed to the east, which meant he was going into the bedding area. And we had an easterly wind. That's why I was there. And on his way to that bedding area, he's, he's going to encounter two other cameras I've got on scrapes and travel corridors. And he never walked by any of them. Hmm. It just shows you what these deer are like. <laughs> yeah, it, and it does. You I mean, know, it, I mean, yeah, yeah. I go, oh, I'm going to have pictures of him. Yeah, I didn't get one picture of him, you know. <laughs> well, and and you, you think about this, Jake. A lot of people are, you know, relying on this camera for data. You're sitting there having yeah. that observation, and you're saying to yourself, boy, I, I'm lucky that I put in this stand in order to get this intel. Otherwise, I wouldn't yeah. know exactly what's going on. You know, that's yeah. that's the benefit of having line of sight observational set areas in certain conditions. A lot of these woodlots that I'm working in and you've worked in as well, you know, sometimes you got to build that into the plan and think about, you, you know, how you can yep. get more Intel on deer and not just rely on your cameras because, yep. you know, my own yep. property is a prime example. I can sit in a couple areas and do observation sets. It doesn't put me in the game, but it gives me a no. chance to see what's going on. And that's, I think that's really important. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I was, I was a little surprised. It's got a lot of, I've got some really good long strips of chicory and clover about 20 feet wide, which are the green strips that go around switchgrass. Okay. Mm-hmm. Your, your burn breaks. Yep. And so, you know, the does really go up and down those, but they typically move in them just that last, you know, 15 to five minutes of daylight. And every time I've been in that observation stand those does show up right at daylight and they slowly work their way up to a, a plot i call my garage plot which is up very close to my garage that's where I, I kill my does i did kill one really nice big doe out of that garage plot uh the first week or two of the season and i, I need to do more of that okay yeah, yeah, <laughs> so you know how we get focused on these bucks trying to chase them and, and then the weather has just been uh it has been different this year yeah yeah. And, uh, you know, I, but you know, that's the, that's the thing is when you set up a property and you get, uh, I'll admit that as a, a manager that, that, uh, makes all kinds of suggestions to clients, sometimes I have to look at myself and say, it's time for me to take my own advice. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> because over the years, I used to have all these multiple stands for all these different wind conditions. And, you know, I had all, you know, of course I was a younger guy, but I had, I'm going to say 20 some, you know, maybe 27 stands on this 67 acres that I got here. And I covered every, you know, every wind, every, every rut condition. And, and as the years have gone by and I've gotten a lot better about honing in on these big deer and and striking when the time's right and killing some good deer. um, I kind of got like, you know what, I've got four places I can kill every buck in. And, and that's true. Okay. I can kill every good buck in one of those four locations during the year, you know, given the right timing and everything works. And so, you know, the, the, you know, as the years go by, you go, well, I'm going to take that stand down, you know, it's old and and I don't want to trust it anymore. And you don't replace it, you know, I'll take this one down and you don't replace it. And this year 
I will tell you, we have had, I, I mean, the, the days that I'm able to hunt, hey, there's certain, you know, responsibilities with older parents and, and siblings and stuff. You got to do other things in your life. Yeah. But when I have opportunities to hunt, it seems like it's been an east, a southeast or a northeast wind or no wind. Just calm as can be, foggy, uh, warm. Um, you know, we, we had some cooler weather in the first 10 to 15 days of October. But after that, it's just, I mean, today, 72 degrees here. So I've got it's a hard few... to get mature, but I mean, yeah. they will move. There's no doubt. If there's a doe in heat, he doesn't care how warm it is. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, if he's in the bedding area with her, they're just hanging out. You yeah. Know? <laughs> uh, so I've got, I've got some observational data. So I've had some clients recently send me a bunch of uh, imagery of, and videos of mature bucks, you know, in those conditions, midday bedding down, Usually in cooler areas, uh, sometimes in hillsides where, you know, the wind may be a benefit to them for thermal regulation, but, you know, they're not moving all the time. And if they are, they're moving in, you know, small jaunts or, you know, small locations. And, you know, they're, they're very conscious of their movement patterns. These are deer that are very kind of in tuned, you know, they're maybe older, mature deer. So I've gotten some data like that. And then I've seen other deer just let loose and they're all over the place, you know, um, these mobile deer. So you know, it's so personality driven and what they, what they think or what they do, or, you know, the breeding cycle and mentality is all different. And it's, it's interesting to kind of observe the same thing, you know, based on your, your situation. Yeah. Uh, I always tell people, um, I had a couple of really good deer biologists or mentors of mine from years ago that I spent time with. And they always said, you know, you're going to find that every buck has got a certain type of personality, you know, but you have to manage them in a general sense, okay? So, uh, but when it comes to hunting them, you're going to have one buck that shows up all the time. He runs all over the place, and then you've got these. So there's a term a lot of guys use. They call them a ghost. You know, it's like they never get there. You know, they spend three years hunting this buck. They've never personally put eyes on them. They yeah. just get camera photos of them, you know, that type of thing. And so that's what makes hunting these whitetails uh, in these high-pressure states just so challenging because it's not always a – uh, you know, a hundred percent plus game, you know, sometimes it seems so easy. And other times uh, this year is one of those years where, you know, I've got to work my tail off to get in on them, you know? Yeah. Um, yep. I think it's going to happen here real quick. Okay. I just have not had the conditions. I passed a real good deer uh, Sunday morning. I actually thought it was the one, you know, I saw him and, and uh, there was, there was some, some slight pushing and shoving in a bedding area and grunting and, and rubbing. Oh man, I watched this one buck make at least 30 rubs, you know, and it, sure. it's just, you know, you just sit there and soak that all in. Okay? Yep. And then I see these big white tines and nice tall G twos and G threes. And, and, you know, and he's like, Oh, he's about 80 yards away. And so I just, just did a, uh, a doe bleat and oh man, on a string, here he comes, you know, and I get my camera all ready. I said, yeah, he's going to walk right up through here, you know. And, and as he walks in, it's like, oh, he's – there's two eight points, and he's the smaller of the two. Uh-huh. And I said, you know what? You just need another year. Yeah, he, He's just not – he's not as massive and nice as the – there is one that I would definitely kill. I think he'd probably go into the 40s as an eight point. He's going to be real close. That's a heck of a good – That is you know, a, yes. where, where And that's, that's definitely a, a target buck. Yep. And uh, – you know, and those are the kind of deer and, and, uh, you know, he's, he's popping up here and there, but, uh, 
you know how it is. You can hunt, and uh, one day all you see is year and a half and dinks, and you go out there the next day and the woods is exploded with big deer cruising. And uh, I'm just look, waiting for that day to happen. You know. Yeah, and I think that's good. I think you know it. It takes time. Uh, this yep. this is uh you know it's it's like a fine wine, and eventually you know it pops. Yeah, I'm gonna share. Yep. A, I'm gonna share a story with you, and uh, I, sure. I wasn't I wasn't gonna share this, but I'm gonna share it. So you were talking earlier about aggressive tactics. Now, my area is down big time. I'm running. I don't know how many cameras at this point, and I'm I'm retrieving so much data. It's like data dump every night, every morning. I'm analyzing. I'm trying to break down each individual deer, what they're doing, why, what you know, just all the data, right? And I'm focused on been focused on two deer. Uh, one of these deer. I decided not to go after because I wanted to go after the larger deer, the larger deer. And I, I said this earlier in podcast, I felt like I had a 10% chance to kill him. Well, I went after him uh, two times. The first time I screwed up, uh, not because of him specifically, but I pushed the limits too far into a bedding area. The second time I walked right up on him. And uh, oh, man. <laughs> these, these, this is how these things go. Um, yeah, and, I, and I think it's o- I think it's okay to be aggressive. And here's what I said afterwards. I said I had two hunts. There's and, and this buck is in the 150s. I actually shared the picture with you. Um, it's in the yeah. 150s. Yep. Yep. He's you, nice you, here. Yeah, he's beautiful. And uh, you know, in my area, you know, 150 is like a one in a million. That's a booner in my area. Yeah. And uh, yep. so, but seeing that deer and having him within 30 yards of me. I felt like I achieved success. I knew where he was and I went after him and I, I had a shot. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter. I killed that deer or not. I made a decision to go after a deer that I thought was unkillable in an area that was so hard to access. And I saw him and it's a huge win for me. And so just the observation data that you're talking about here is, is incredible. And I, I feel blessed to even see that deer uh, and if I harvest oh, it, should. icing is on the cake, right? And and I yep. think I wanted to share that with everybody because it's not all about the wins and losses. And the wins can be a little bit different than we all think about. No. And, you know, these are the nope. stories that we like to share with people, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and so many things play into to that, you know, uh, should I be aggressive? Should I not be aggressive? Sh- should I go in even though it's too early in the season? You know, that sort of thing. And, and I held, you know, when we had – good north winds, good cool temperatures. It was just too early and for me and, and my experience at my property, not saying that it wouldn't have worked because it could have, but I did not go into those rut stands, you know, that first 10 or 15 days of October just because I was afraid I'd go in too early and bump him or, or tip him off and then make him unkillable, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so, uh, hey, there's lots of people that, you know, trudge right in and are successful and that's fine. But, uh, you know, this is the way I'm handling this property and I've got my own reasons for doing it. And I'm still enjoying every time I go out, every hunt. And, you know, when my cameras go off and we're sitting here talking to you and I'm getting these notifications from my Spartan go cam. So I know there's deer moving and, you know, a typical 72 degree day. Now that it's dark, deer off moving all over the place. You know, there you go. I mean, it, 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 tell, it tells you temperature is a driving force, right? And, is a, you know, so if we're going to get down into the uh, mid to upper 20s uh, for lows this weekend, that and highs, you know, in the 40s to low 50s, that's going to make for some really, you know, you can actually hunt all day and expect to see deer moving, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, 
Can I talk a little bit about, uh, I had two things happen this year from an agricultural standpoint. Cause I'm, you know, I, I own a, uh, just under 70 acre property. Yep. These deer clearly, uh, roam on other parts of my neighbor's properties and, and, uh, you know, food sources and everybody talks about, you know, there can be food source source changes that can make huge changes in, in deer patterns, okay, from year to year. So we have a fairly large uh, field directly uh, meets up to my northern border um, that does not have any crops in it this year. It's it's all weeds and, and you know, if you know about mare's tail, it's basically a 140 acres of mare's tail. Wonderful. Uh, and yeah, wonderful. I'll never get rid of that stuff now from now on. So there's no food there. Um, very poor acorn crop, little to no acorns at all. And then directly south of my house, uh, there's a, 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 a new guy renting a large piece of property there. I think it's about 140 acre field as well. And he had, he had clover, uh, I think an annual clover, red clover, a cover crop in there after his winter, winter wheat. So my gosh, the month of August, September, and half of October before he ended up uh, cutting it, bailing it, and getting it out of there. Uh, well, he'd look, I'd pull out of my driveway and it'd be 30 deer across the road on that field. And I go, oh, heck, right, you know, yeah. I can't blame these deer, 140 acres of clover, right? Yeah. So that's probably contributed a few things, you know, as far as, uh, uh, you know, how, how, and then, then you add up my tall beans, you put it all together and it's kind of the perfect storm for giving mature bucks reasons to not go where they normally do. Okay. And just being a little more careful and spending time in the cover and, um, but Hey, season's early. Um, our gun season's right around the corner here on Tuesday and, uh, uh, cooler temperatures and, uh, Hey, well, you know, and then, then there's always, you know, the late season getting into December. If it gets cold and we get snow, I'm now the only guy in the section with standing soybeans. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and know. you know, and I got brassicas <laughs> and turnips and, and all the other things and great early successional growth and cover. So, I mean, uh, it's just, and a lot of my friends say, how's the hunting going? I say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm getting there. It's just a matter of time. One of these days it's all going to come together, but, uh, uh, I want, I'm interested you, in something, Jake. I, I, and, and this is, this is from my perspective, you know, you've been, you've been, uh, you've had a lot of years hunting your property and you've kind of worked into this routine. You know, if, if it doesn't happen for you this year, do you have any pressure on yourself? Uh, do you put, do you place any pressure on yourself? No, no, not at all. You know, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of at that point in my life. Yeah, I love hunting big bucks, love hunting bucks that I've got some history and some time with. But you know what? I'm not going to pressure myself to have to kill a buck or to feel like I ha- I mean, I've already had a successful season with the kind of bucks I've let go by. I've yeah. probably had opportunities on three bucks that would be be right there at Pope and Young, Okay. Uh, and what can you ask for in an area and a uh, small, yeah. small property, like small you place yep. and to go in basically first hunts. Every one of these places where I had the opportunities were first hunts. And man, I, I, I got opportunities on, on these nice deer. And yeah. So, so no, I, I don't put pressure on myself and uh, you know, and it doesn't always have to be a one fifty because Hey, I, I, you know, I've told you before, those are, those are just as rare in this area too. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Just as rare. Um, so, 
so yeah, you know, um, I'm not, there are, there are some people that, uh, will ask, you're not the only person, geez, you know, I would think you'd killed by now. And I said, well, you know, I've had, I've had quite a string going and typically I do, but this year has not, you know, there's just been other things and I'm not letting it beat me up. And actually I've, I've, you know, you, I've had a lot of mornings I've gotten up where my intention was to get up early and go hunting and I get up and it's dark and I, I walk out and I always open my back door to the deck to kind of listen to the wind or feel the wind. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, my God, the wind, you know, there's hardly any wind. It's dead quiet. There's no way I can sneak into these bedding areas today. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I go, I'm just going to stay home because once they know I'm hunting them, it's a lot harder to kill them. It's not that you can't, but it's a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. yeah, that's the mentality. You said you had another bullet point that you wanted to bring up. Is that is it true? Um, another bullet point. Yeah. Did you have another one? Yeah. Yeah. What I wanted to say was when it comes to, uh, things that happen weather wise, I don't know if you, you've paid attention to the barometer this year. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. And just two, three days ago, we had for over 48 hours, we had a barometer at about 30.6 to about 30.75. And I don't know if I've ever seen it that high. I don't either. Um, and that was for, you know, like you said, two days straight and you know, the, the conditions were ripe. I mean, I, I don't know what you saw, but uh, in those two days I'd hunted mornings. I've been hunting mornings uh, till probably like 10 30, 11 o'clock. I, I yeah. just, I've got a lot going on at home. Um, a ton of movement. Um, and it, it allows me to cheat the wind like crazy. The, the way I look at those conditions is I'm, I'm hunting with the wind, right? I'm considering wind and thermals, depending on temperature yep. stage and all that yep. kind of stuff, but I, yep. I can cheat everything. I'm, and that's why I I've gotten, I hunted in the bedding area yesterday, just specifically because now the barometer started to drop at that point, but it was still high enough where, you know, my scent molecules were evaporating or essentially rising oh, yeah. in the air. So, yep. you know, I was in a situation where I can cheat and I would recommend anybody if you're get, again, getting in those conditions, you can cheat the wind. I mean, it's the perfect time to do it. I'm hunting hillsides. So, you know, I've yeah. got to be very yep. particular on where I locate myself. So yeah, it right. is interesting. And my property is more flat than, you know, I don't sure. have the hills. I've, I've got one or two, you know, small ridges, you know, 20, 20 foot gentle ridges, and you're going to get some thermal movement, but it's nothing like what you're setting up. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just, These I, are... I'm just uh, taking, you know, I'm, I'm taking the, uh, the safe route and saying, you know, I'm just going to wait, but uh, um I think those days are right around the corner on me now. You know, I, I had an inter- interesting observation yesterday. So I was sitting and again, we're talking about, you know, this barometric pressure and I'm sitting actually a little bit lower on the hill. I've got a bunch of debris in front of me. This is completely unmanaged ground. Uh, this isn't my own property. This is another property home with a bunch of guys. And uh, I had a buck come through a two and a half year old. And I had uh, three or four does kind of like laid out around me. And the buck came through, and one of the does had just gotten up just before that, uh, went to the bathroom. He went over, smelled exactly where she went to the bathroom, and then kicked up her, her doe fawn, smelled her doe fawn, and then the, the, the buck was out of there. I mean, the way that deer cruised that area and was so efficient checking each doe, it was it was a show. You know, and it, it's fun yeah. observing these things. It's like, you know, you don't take the time to observe this stuff. You, you kind of wonder... You know, that particular deer, which I was familiar with, he's a two and a half year old, beautiful eight pointer, you know, just watching him work the landscape is just, it's fun, you know? And, and again, I was right in a bedding area and I could cheat the wind and I, you know, I just, it was a great opportunity to kind of just observe things and it's, it's enjoyable watching this stuff. 
Oh, it, man, I tell you, I, I never tire of watching and there's always things to learn and, and, uh, you know, yeah, the posturing. And like you say, you know, he's, 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 he's checking his list. He's going to every one of them. <sighs> nope. 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 Okay. Time to get out of here. Yeah. Got to keep going. Yeah. You know, I, oh, they put a lot of miles on and, uh, um, yeah, they, they cover lots, you know, some cover huge amounts of ground at this time of the year and, and others are, are homeboys. Okay. And uh, it seems like the younger ones stick pretty, pretty close to home. And then there's always, you know, the one that, you know, yourself and other neighbors are aware of. And it seems like everybody sees him, you know, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's, cover, he's covering ground. But uh, so anyways, I mean, you've had, uh, I mean, you feel really successful because you got in, you saw the buck that you were hunting. And yeah. I'll tell you, that's a, you know, when you, when, when you do the management and lay out the plan and put your own strategy together in your mind by following, you know, the weather, the conditions, and then it works out like that, man, that's, that is a perfect success. It, it doesn't, you don't have to kill them. Heck, if you get a chance to see them, wow, that's, that's a big deal where, you know, these deer are running in. I mean, there's hunters everywhere right now. Everybody's yeah. pushing for these deer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've spent the afternoons driving around, just scouting my neighbors, uh, figuring out where they're going, when they're hunting, you know, and just getting some understanding of what's happening around me. That's really important kind of for my overall strategy. And so yep. your, your gun season here is right around the corner for you. So this is a key weekend for you to dial in. And uh, because obviously, you know, the pressure is probably high. Um, and it, I know you gun hunt, but again, I mean, having the time now is, is really critical before gun season because around oh, here yeah. when gun season goes off, I mean, you know, there's nobody that's not putting pressure on their hunting property. I mean, oh, nobody's yeah. backing off at all. They, they're yep. going, you know, uh, gangbusters on their property and you know, that changes the deer behavior big time. Oh, it sure does. You know, and, and, uh, I do not go gangbusters on mine in, <laughs> in gun season. I'm sure <laughs> I, I let mine fill up. Okay. Yep. It fills up on its own because it gets, you know, they get a lot of pressure from everybody around. And that's, that's one of my other uh, strategies on how I can hold deer and save deer from dying, you know, and, uh, and, and ultimately, you know, have, uh, we have a late, a later season. They, they call it a muzzleloader season, but everything's legal in it now. Um, that runs from December 1st to December 11th. You mm-hmm. know? So, you know, yeah, it's, uh, um, you know, so 26 days of gun season on bucks here in Michigan about to start here. Yeah, yeah. A lot of pressure. It's amazing we have the deer that we do. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, I can relate. Um, so I go- do have to get, to, I got to, I got to kill some does. We, we have a high yeah. deer density yeah. and uh, we had a, a super good doe uh, fawn survival or recruitment uh, this year. Lots of twins, uh, several triplets, lots of singles. So, um, I, I got to get more serious and kill, you know, probably, hopefully I can kill six mature does this year. I killed a, a four and a half year old doe. I think it was October 9th or something like that, right up here by my garage. That was so cool. I always love to do that, you know, and it's, it's always right, at, you know, right at dark because of the activity of the house, they're yeah. going to show up right at dark, but Hey, you know, I made a perfect shot. And, and uh, did you happen to weigh know, her by the way? Just wonder. Pardon? Did you weigh her? Um, you know, I did. It was 142 field dressed. Okay. Yeah. Nice. You know, not a, not a huge exceptional doe, but a nice big healthy doe. Yeah, yeah. it is definitely, yep. definitely. Yep. 
Well, that's good. It sounds like you've got a plan going into the season, uh, even, you know, after the gun season and then save the deer foundation, Jake Ellinger's property. And then obviously you, you can get it done when you think the conditions are right. And you've got late season food and highly attractive opportunities for you to harvest the late season deer, which I know that's, that's a fun thing to do. Uh, anyway, oh, you know, it is, it is really neat. And, uh, you know, it can, it can have an awful lot about setting up your following year. You know, those deer that just need another year. And if they make it to then, and that's where that food is and say, you know, once the rut gets over, you call the big event, those deer bed so close to the food, they get up, they go to the food, they go from the food back to bedding. And if you don't mess with them, that's where they stay, you know? Yeah. And there's, you know, I mean, yeah, there's a, you know, everybody talks about the trickle rut and the late rut and there's all these different influences that can contribute to that. But, you know, the truth is by the time we get into December, it's, you know, the rut's pretty much over, and these bucks and does are just trying to put the the feed bag on to, to get into surviving winter, you know. Yeah. But at this time, hunt the does, right? Yeah, absolutely. Hunt the does. Yeah, and, yep. yep. I'm uh, Saturday morning, I am going into a funnel that is typically really, really good, okay? And I can't wait to get in there if the, if the wind conditions hold like they say it's going to. So north, you know, with the kind of a – kind of a west and a slight northwest and the same thing i'm going to play the wind a little bit but with high pressure you can get away with that yeah absolutely (laughs) yeah and i think that's a big takeaway from this discussion today is pay attention to the small factors and you know you might have success because of that so you know jake i don't want to take any more of your time i'm excited for you i really hope that things come together for you this hunting season i've enjoyed following your journey and, um, you know, we'll have you well, ba- back on here pretty soon because we're, well, we're back well, in. Well, same the... for you. You know, uh, <laughs> anything can happen. Yeah. You, you might go out, to, whether it's tomorrow morning or, or whatever, next morning, or you go back out and everything can change. And, and there he is. And uh, you're sending me a picture. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. And we'll see. And uh, best of luck to you the rest of the season. And we'll, we'll check yeah, thank you. back in after hunting season. We'll do some more habitat stuff together. Yeah. Okay. Sounds All right. great. All right. Thanks, great. man. Have a good one, John. Right. Talk yep. to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Yep. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.